Welcome to this episode of Law Girl. I'm Jasmine Dea coming to you from my personal injury law firm, JD & Co., located in the heart of Midtown Toronto at Young & St. Clair. Joining me is Nick Robson, Vice President and General Counsel at The Judge. Nick, thank you for coming by today. Happy to be here. My intention of inviting you over was to discuss after the event insurance, also known as cost insurance. But before I delve into that topic, I want to know a little bit about you. Oh, dear. Yeah, oh dear is right. Uh, first and foremost, that accent. Where do you hail from? I get this a lot. I keep getting accused of being English. I did spend six years in England, but I'm actually Australian. Australian. And how long have you been in Canada? Uh, five years now. And you have not lost any sign of that accent? Well, I don't know. I'll put on a Canadian accent for you later. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should stick to Australian. Yeah. Um, okay, so the judge... Uh, the Judge is a company that I understand was established in 2000 and has offices in London, California, and Toronto. But what exactly does this company do? One thing, really. Uh, we're specialist brokers in litigation insurance. We also do have access to finance options, but predominantly litigation insurance is our game. And we're going to talk about exactly what litigation insurance is, but before we go there... How did you end up at the judge? Oh, <laughs> that's a long story, actually. Give me the Coles Notes version. Right, of course. Oh, do you know what Coles Notes is? I do, yeah. Oh, we have, okay. we have the have, have outside Canada. <laughs> um, basically, I was working in a big insurance company as an underwriter um, in the UK, and I did a lot of work with these guys over there. And so when I got moved to Canada with the company, uh, with the insurance company, um, I decided to also jump out and be a broker myself, and uh, they contacted me and offered me a job. I said, well, of course. And what is sure. what is your educational background that makes you qualified for your position? I don't know if it's a qualification you need to do insurance broking. I mean, there's only one course you have to do here. It's called Rebo. I mean, by trade, I'm a, I'm a lawyer in Australia, solicitor in England, and I'm now a lawyer here in Ontario, but I don't need to be for the job. My wife says I just collect certificates. Oh, are they posted on your wall? I, I need them on the wall. They should be. I'm sure you had to work hard to get them. Well, a lot of alcohol. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked about litigation insurance. What is it? Litigation insurance, well, I mean, for after the event insurance? Tell me first, what do you mean when you say litigation insurance? And then we will hone in on after the event insurance. Basically, litigation insurance is a way of, like any insurance, protecting a client, an individual or a company um, from the risks of litigation. I mean, where there's risk, there's insurance, and there are risks to litigation. If you lose your case, you've got to pay you know, the adverse costs, the disbursements, your own lawyer's fees. Uh, some insurance actually pay for your lawyer's fees going forward. There's all different sorts of insurance out there for litigation. Okay, in terms of after the event insurance, I'm going to recall a few years ago when you came to my office, but at that point it was with my former partners, and you had a meeting uh, with one of my former partners, and then that former partner left you in his office to walk over to my office. I don't know if you know that's what he, where he was going, but he left you in his office, came to my office, and started telling me about this product and whether he should sign a contract. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just say yes. Just say, of course you would say that. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And then I walked over. I'm like, okay, I have to meet these guys. I don't know what you're talking about. And then there was you and there was, I think it was Scott. 
would have been Scott, yeah. Would have been Scott. And what's Scott's role at the company? Scott's sales. Sales. So basically sales relationship management. Okay. And I've also met Simon. And what's his role? Basically the same, but he's more uh, focused on procedures. Okay. Uh, so I... anyone who knows Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> so I come in, I see you and Simon, and Simon has this English accent, and you have this Australian accent. I'm like, these, who are these guys? Like, is this for real? It started in England, which is, you know, and I said before I was in England for six years, I first thought about active insurance when I did my cross-examination to become a solicitor in England, part of an ethics essay to write. I'll put it this way, to become a solicitor in England from Australia is a three-hour exam, it was nothing. But part of it was uh, about interviewing your client, and the first things you have to talk about, uh, one of them was this thing called eight insurance. I had no idea what that was. I had to Google it. I was like, oh, this, this is what it is. This makes perfect sense. Like, why don't we have this in Australia? But it was actually invented by the Law Society back in the late 90s when they brought in no-win-no-fee agreements because the Law Society, for many reasons, didn't want lawyers to become their own insurance companies, effectively. So when you say it came in in the 1990s, that was in the UK? Yes. And then did it then go to Australia? Not, it- well, it's in Australia, but not quite the same way it is here. So the company I worked for in England uh, moved here, put an office up in Toronto, moved me across to see if it would work in Canada, uh, basically on the English model, because the law is very, very similar. Uh, and it took off, which is great. Okay, so when did ATE Insurance make its arrival in Canada? We've been dabbling since 2009. It was 2014 it really got properly established and launched across the country. I say across the country, majority Ontario, BC and Alberta. Okay. And so we need to understand what is cost insurance? Basically, uh, if you think about it this way, if you've uh, had an accident or whatever, you, you see a lawyer, the lawyer's going to explain a few things to you. First off... There's three financial risks to any litigation. The first is having to pay your own lawyer, which can be obviously very expensive, but that's why there's no no fee agreements. The lawyer, if they like your case, will invest their time and effort into it, hoping that eventually they'll win and get paid. If they don't, that's their risk. And that is what we call the contingency fee arrangement. Exactly. And the other two risks to the client is your own disbursements. The lawyer has to spend on third-party costs, you know, experts reports, courts fees, all that sort of stuff. And... If the unfortunate situation arises where you lose, you got to pay the other side's costs. Now, those two extra costs aren't normally mentioned on billboards around Toronto, but they're actually very real and can be tens of thousands of dollars. And so this particular product was invented to basically sit with your lawyer's retainer or the contingency fee agreement and negate those two other risks. So you can confidently go to trial not worrying about the financial risk, basically putting you in exactly the same position as a defendant. So let's break it down a little bit because you and I do this every day, but people listening may not. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, hope not. Uh, so, when a client comes to see me, for example, and they've been involved in some incident that has resulted in an injury, they are going to enter into a contingency fee arrangement with me, which means that they will not have to pay me any legal fees until we settle, assuming a successful settlement. However, When we go to trial, if a trial is necessary, or if for some reason we decide not to go to trial because we feel that we're not going to be successful, there are 
there are two situations. So let's first talk about the, we're not going to trial because we don't think we're going to be successful. So I will still have disbursements. I will have still spent money on the file and not fees. So not for the services and time I've provided. Yeah, it's not your back pocket, yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's stuff that I've actually paid for, getting clinical notes and records, process server fees, all of that. Now, I don't want my client to have to pay me. And in fact, my agreement with them is that they don't pay me. So I'm out of pocket. And so is that one I'm going to make a claim? Absolutely. I mean, technically speaking, those costs, you're incurred, incurring them on behalf of the clients. The client's still responsible for it. And this is why if the client wants one of these policies, they can take it and cover them from those exposures. Then the other way that ATE insurance works, my understanding at least, and you can correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, um, but if we are to go to trial, and in fact, I do have a trial coming up. Uh, no so Yeah, exactly. Uh, June uh, 3rd. June 3rd, it's coming up. Uh, so if we go to trial, at some point before trial, there may or may not be what's called the Rule 49 offer, which is your last offer to settle from the other side. So if they've served a Rule 49 offer, I have to beat that offer at trial so that my client is not on the hook to pay the other side's legal fees. So it's not just getting money from the jury, getting an award from the jury, but I also have to beat that last offer. And so if we are, not in my June trial because I feel confident, but you know, <laughs> if an individual was not successful in um, getting an amount higher than that last offer to settle, it's going to be the case where the individual, the plaintiff, the person that is injured is going to be on the hook to pay the other side's legal fees. And so will they be able to make a claim if they have cost insurance so that they are not on the hook to pay those legal fees? Yeah, I mean, if you're in a situation as has happened where you go to court and uh, you believe it's worth, say, $100,000, we'll use round numbers because I'm bad at math, <laughs> um, but the jury only awards you 50000 which means you failed to beat that offer, as the court says, well, therefore, you should have taken the offer, we're going to punish you, but you've got to pay those such costs. And those costs could be well over 50000 they could be 100000 Suddenly, you know, you won a trial, you're down fifty grand. And that's exactly what policies there protect. So this policy, you'll get your fifty thousand dollars. You've won rightly so, and the policy will actually pay out the other hundred thousand on top of it. The idea is to stop uh, defence from making basically bully uh, rule forty nines. If you don't think it's reasonable, their offer, you should have the right to say no. I want to fight for my rightful amount, and that's what the policy does. Yeah, and I I use the policy, and so after initially meeting you two interesting individuals that showed up at my office. I'd be called worse. <laughs> I um, looked further into the product and at this point, in my, in my opinion, I need the product. My firm uses the product uh, for two reasons. One is because gone are the days of personal injury lawyers footing the bill for disbursements if the client chooses to walk away or there's uh, no success in the case. Um, you know, the disbursements over time have increased so much. The cost of running files increases so much. I could go up to trial and have fifty, sixty thousand dollars in disbursements. And I need to know that that's not going to be a hit for me. Uh, putting me aside, my client may own their home or may have other assets and they need to know that they have the ability to go to trial and if they're unsuccessful that their assets aren't going to be in jeopardy that they've got insurance absolutely uh, the case is is not the same for the other side because the other side is an insurer 
Well, that's that's the point. I mean, so if you get hit by a drunk driver, you're, not, you're suing that drunk driver, but that person's not the one with the bill. It's their insurance company doing everything, so they don't really care. But why should you be put in a worse position than the drunk driver? That's right. And, and in fact, in your example, you've talked about a motor vehicle accident case, a car accident claim. Mm. And so that actually adds an extra layer of complication for the injured party because we have the deductible. So what a lot of people don't realize is that the first almost 40000 it's going up every year with the rate of inflation, is not paid for pain and suffering, and the jury is not allowed to be aware about that deductible or it could be a mistrial. You call it deductible, I call it daylight robbery. I can't believe this is actually a thing in this, in this province, but you're right. So you could actually, again, you could win at court win a size of money, $25,000, $30,000, but the court turns around and says, well, that's going to the defendant. You didn't beat the forty grand. That is a silent number that the jury can't know about. As the jury thinks they've done you a favour, but in actual fact, they've just lost you the file or the case, and now you're out the defendant's cost, which could be tens of thousands of dollars again. Exactly. And I, I also don't believe that it's proper tort law. I've said that before because oh, terrible. You know, tort law is supposed to put the individual back in the same position and the deductible does not accomplish that objective. Could be going off, off track here, but I mean, I tell people in the three countries I've practiced in and the jurisdictions I've seen outside of that, this is the one place I would not want to have a car accident. <laughs> well, Not that you want to have one anywhere. No, really. not that you want to have one anywhere. <laughs> um, okay, so there is a premium for cost insurance. Who pays that premium? Ultimately, if successful, the client will pay for it. So think about it being a no-win, no-fee insurance policy effectively. So the premium is set. You'll know about it from day one. Uh, it's fully deferred. There's no interest on it. It's that price, no matter how many years it takes before you settle or you win at court. And you only pay for it if you are successful. If you lose, the premium is waived. And we pay out, or well, the insurance company, I should say, pays out the costs. Okay. And so the premium, you said the client will pay, but it's not actually coming from their pocket if there's success? No, it's coming from the damages of the one at trial. So it's something that the client probably wouldn't even notice, to be honest, but it gives them a little protection. Yeah. Uh, so it's disclosed in our accounts, so they know, they are aware, and obviously we inform them when we're first signing well, up about it. Well, it's policy, so that's the thing. So, you know, I, we always say that the client should be fully aware of it, should be offered a policy of it, it should be told all about it. I mean, we think it's a great thing anyway. This isn't a hidden cost, you know, hooked on. This is something the client thinks about and accepts or rejects, you know, it's up to them. You brought up a point about it being a policy that belongs to a client. And there was a recent decision about that. Uh, can you speak to that? Generally speaking, I mean, the decision you're talking about was the code's decision. They talked about a few other things, but that was also talking about who owns the policy. There are different policies out there. There's one provider that does something a bit funky, but uh, the vast majority of policies are owned by the clients. Their own personal insurance policy, not anyone else's. So this particular case, a defendant came along and said, well, they're underinsured. So basically the client had, well, the lawyer had a whole bunch of disbursements up, lost the case, and if you put their own disbursements and the adverse cost together, it was over the level of indemnity the insurance policy had, which is a different story. But the defendant turned up and said, well, I think I should have first crack at your insurance policy, pay my fees first. Uh, and the court found, no, no, it's up to the client. The client gets to choose how they use that policy. They get to say, no, my disbursement's first. So it is the client's choice. Exactly. But there can be an agreement Oh, like anything. The client can have a have a degree with a lawyer and have a, a priority agreement for sure. Okay. Uh, while we're talking about case law, let's talk about whether the premium is a disbursement or not. 
you talk about recoverability. Yes. Yeah. So this is where if you do win your case or settle it successfully, you can recover disbursements from the defendant. So court fees, experts costs, those costs that aren't your lawyer's fees that you had to incur to prosecute your file or your case. There's been a couple of decisions on after event insurance and whether it's recoverable or not. I mean, the first one was, no, it was called a Markovich decision, and the court came out and said, no, this is discretionary, Uh, this shouldn't be made recoverable, uh, for a whole bunch of silly reasons in my view, but uh, of course I'd say that. Um, (laughs) But then we had another case uh, called the Armstrong decision, where the court came out and said, I think all the right things. Now, the problem is they're both at the same level of court, so we don't really have uh, a final decision yet. Someone needs to take it a step further. Um, but I would like to, if you can uh, let me do it, cite uh, Justice Sama's... Uh, Please do. Yes, yeah, so this is from the Armstrong decision, which is in favour of recoverability, for, uh, just for the table. Uh, so Justice Sama stated, Without cost insurance, the fear of a very large adverse cost award would cause many plaintiffs of modest means to be afraid to pursue meritorious claims. It is in the interest of justice that plaintiffs be able to pursue meritorious claims without fear of a potentially devastating adverse cost award which I think sums up the whole product perfectly. I do too. I'm just concerned because when I try to raise ATE, the premium as a disbursement, the defense lawyers always turn to me and say, well, there's a second decision and that's the more recent one. And it rejected the notion of uh, the cost insurance premium being a disbursement. Yeah, we haven't got it settled yet. I mean, to be quite blunt, I can see both arguments for it. I personally believe it should be recoverable, um, but it is a very small fee anyway we're talking about. Um, so yeah, we'll have to wait for the final decision to be made. Or hopefully, like in England, uh, it'll come up by statute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that happening. Well, I don't know if it'll happen here, but I could see yeah. it happening there. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, given where we are, with cost insurance and given how it enables access to justice for individuals that may not normally be able to pursue their action, just like the quote that you read to us from that decision, do you feel that personal injury lawyers should be at least making clients aware of this product? Do you feel that it could be viewed as professional negligence if they don't make individuals aware? I think the argument of not making clients aware of this is silly. Uh, lawyers' jobs basically are to protect their clients' interests and prosecute the claims. And this, if you're not mitigating their, their downsides, what are you doing, um, quite bluntly? Whether it's professional negligence just yet, the answer is obviously no. That's a law society rule. Uh, it certainly is in England, not to mention it. It's part of the Solicitor's Code of Conduct. I believe it will happen here. I think it's amazing it hasn't, but uh, I think it definitely will. Wait, let's go back to what you just said. <laughs> what is what is in the Solicitor's Code of the Conduct? Solicitor's Code of Conduct, the Holy Bible of English Solicitors. Uh, a lawyer has to explain cost insurance to the client in their initial meeting. And that's exactly what I was talking about. I feel that given that this product exists to protect the client, I feel that plaintiff's lawyers could be in the future held liable if there's, yeah, they don't explain it. Yeah, a firm in England specializes in suing lawyers for not offering it. Really? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Well, there's um, a little niche for me. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope we get to that. Um, yeah. Anyway, Nick, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks for your time. <laughs>